Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we, we did, listen, we, we, we braved stuff to get here. Um, we, we didn't just come out of form. We came because we wanted to learn about you. We wanted to be around your people. So, Father, in this moment, open eyes, illuminate hearts, and we remember to give you all the glory for what you accomplished here today. And the church says, Amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to get started. Some say Samuel wrote First uh, Samuel. I'm not completely sure who wrote First Samuel. But we do know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 1, the Holy Spirit says, Now there was a certain man. Meaning what we're going to study today was not a fairy tale. This was a real man with a real life and real problems. You know, I don't care who you are. Everyone has a chapter or two or three or four or five in their lives, they don't want anyone to read out loud. And we're gonna do some reading now about his. A certain man, a Ramatham, Jotham, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, Jerome uh, the son of Elihai, uh, the, the son of Tihu, uh, the son of Zuf, and he was an, an Ephraimite, meaning he lived uh, in the area of the Ephraim tribe. Uh, so we see that he was a man with very, very strong family roots. Matter of fact, First Chronicles chapter 6 adds that he was actually a Levite, meaning he was from, uh, you know, the, the most prominent, the most celebrated religious family in the nation. But I don't care how anointed you are, no family is exempt from pain. And we're going to read a little bit about Elkanah's pain. Verse 2 is the introduction to his problem. And he had two <laughs> wives. Somebody asked, did Jesus ever speak against polygamy? Well, I read in the Bible, he said, no man can serve two masters. Okay, the men will chuckle and, okay, all right, all right. But one thing I like about the Bible is it's so honest. It doesn't try to hide the messy facts of its heroes. How many of you know that Noah got drunk? Now you may not have read it this way, but if you really read it honestly, Abraham had an open marriage. I know you're like, mm, yeah, read the Bible. Moses had a temper and for that reason he didn't enter the promised land. And everybody knows about David and Bathsheba. There's only one perfect man, and everyone else needs a savior. So Elkanah had two wives. Now his first wife was, was barren, and her name is Hannah. We're going to be introduced to her in just, just a moment. And without Social Security like we have today, uh, if you did not have children, there was no one to take care of you in your old age. Also, you didn't have the type of help you needed 
uh, on the farm because typically it was the children that worked uh, on the farm. And, and if you didn't have children, typically you were in a world of hurt. So he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panina. Now, every example of polygamy in the Bible uh, is a story of strife and pain. In fact, I have a friend from, from Kenya, uh, and his father had three wives. This was how he grew up. And he told me that sometimes the tension in the camp was, was so thick that when he walked past certain of the wives, the hair on the back of his neck would literally rise up. Now, monogamy in our country used to mean one person for life, but today it only means one person at a time. And it seemed like Elkanah was, was, was in a similar situation. Panina had children. Now, Elkanah chose his second wife very, very, very well because she was literally a baby-making machine. She had at least seven children. Uh, some rabbis said she has many as 11 children. So the fact was, if, if Elkanah just winked at Panina, she got pregnant. This is the way it was happening in that house. But then there's a comma and a clause. But Hannah had no children. Have you ever had people describe you with a but in front of your name? She's pretty, but. She's smart, but. She's nice, but. So Hannah had a, a lot of things going in her favor, but in this culture and in this time, childbearing was the ultimate achievement of any woman. If you were childless, you were less than. If you were childless, some people would say you were accursed. So. Hannah's in this, this marriage and in this relationship carrying some very, very serious emotional baggage. And in verse 3, it says, This woman, or this man, I'm sorry, went up from the city, or went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Now, he did this despite the fact the woman he loved could not have children. He did this despite the fact that everything in his life was not perfect. But there was nothing that could keep this man from worshiping God. And we need more men and women like this in the church today. And here's the deal. If you cannot worship because of it, you can worship through it. And sometimes I can't worship because of what's happening in my life, but I can worship God despite it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And this was the type of man that Elkanah was. Also, so on top of all that we just read, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, 
the priests of the Lord were there. Now, to most of us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But the word priests of the Lord there, those, those, those three words are very, very charitable. Because in one translation, the, 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 the way these two chief priests, these, these church leaders were described, they were so immoral, the Bible literally calls them scoundrels. So here we have Elkanah that has a romantic problem. He has family issues. And on top of that, now we see he has church problems. But he still worship. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all his sons and daughters. The way these sacrifices went, you'd give one portion to God, one portion to the priest, and then your family would share a portion, and when you ate it, it was as much like our Thanksgiving celebration. It was a big deal. The, the whole family would, would get together, and it would be a festive time. But how many of us uh, have a relative or two that always show up at Thanksgiving trying to stir stuff up? Okay, you can't say amen maybe because they're in the room, but all of us have that. Re- maybe you're that relative. That's why you didn't give me that amen there. But there's always one at the table. So he portions out the meat first to Penina. But in verse 5, but to Hannah, he would give the double portion. So, you know, it's my story. I'm going to tell it the way I want, right? So it was a dark meat family. And... Hannah got both legs and a thigh. And Panina and her children, even though they were more, were left with whatever remained. Why did he do this? For he loved Hannah. And Elkanah made sure everybody knew that everybody understood that, 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 that the Hannah was his main squeeze. If you, that takes you back to the 70s, but that's the way they used to talk. <laughs> For he loved Hannah, although. Now, it's really love when you love somebody, although. He loved her despite her butt. See, some of y'all love people because of their butt, but I'm talking about loving people. I'm going to look on this side. Despite her butt, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord closed her womb. Now, I'm not going to claim to understand it all. But according to Scripture, God somehow had something to do with her infertility here. Sometimes there's a purpose in your pain. Sometimes there's a purpose in your pain. This side of the room. Sometimes there's a higher purpose to your pain. 
But if God could close a wound, he could open a wound. And her rival, when two women love the same man, you know you got yourself a problem. Love is great, but love also has a dark side. And some things are just not meant to be shared. And her rival also provoked her severely. Meaning, if you were at that Thanksgiving meal and looks could kill, Hannah would have choked on that turkey leg and cranberry sauce. There was such steam and heat coming out of Panina's eyes when she looked at or even thought about Hannah. And she provoked her, not, you know, not, not just a little bit, severely. I mean, this, this was extreme to make her what miserable. So, so again, what would happen is, is Hannah would get her two legs and, and everything, but immediately uh, Panina would pull out her, her iPhone and start swapping, uh, or pull up baby princes and start swapping, you know, on the phone, talking about, you know, don't, don't the babies look like you? And, and, and remember that time, you know, and, and remember, you know, when the, all that, 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 that that's going on. And, and she reminds everyone who can make babies and those who could not. So at the meal, she'd roll her eyes at Hannah. She'd make jokes about Hannah. Worst of all, she would sleep with Hannah's husband. I want you to understand the pain in the room. Hurt people hurt people. And there's a lot of anguish going on. So Panina tries to get a rise constantly out of Hannah. And some say Hannah was a little bit more delicate and a little bit more dainty than Panina. Meaning if Vaseline was ever put on their face and cornrows got in the hair, Hannah didn't have a chance. Panina knew it and provoked her severely to make her miserable all because, and the only reason they were in this situation, the only reason he took this next wife was because Hannah couldn't have a baby or the Lord closed the womb. But here I want you to see something, and this is why I love the scripture. Like I said, it's not trying to be cute. It's not trying to be, probably it's not trying to make it look like everything was, 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 was perfect. It's just a real book that talks about real life and shows us how to handle real things. What we see here is having a double portion in one area of your life doesn't always make up for the deficit in other areas of your life. Both women were in a bad situation, but it really wasn't fair to take it out on little Hannah. So it was year after year after year after year, the same celebration 
the same mocking, the same jokes, the same tension, the same strife, the same problem. When she went to the house of the Lord. Now, if, if, if man wrote this book, he'd be like, well, if you go to church, everything's going to be okay. It would have left that part out. But what you see is even though she went to the house of the Lord, not only every now and then, but regularly, as often as it was required, she still had problems. So it was year by year when she went to the house of the Lord that she still dealt with this bully and she provoked her. Therefore, Hannah began to weep, and she did not eat. Finally, Hannah got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we've been talking about renewing the mind. And I want to tell you, some things will not change in your life until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. But then her, her husband, Elkanah, tries to console her, try, tries to comfort her. He's a, he's, he's a good husband. He loves her. And he said, Hannah, why do you weep? He was paying attention to her emotional state. He's looking in her eyes and saw her pain. Why are you, are, are you crying? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart so grieved? And then he says, am I not better than ten sons? Sometimes men just don't understand everything. Sometimes we're not so, so bright. But Hannah, the Bible said, she arose. But this time, Hannah got up with a look on her face. And oh, it was about to happen. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating. They were making fun of her, the butter jokes talk about what she can't do, baby pictures came out, all the rest. They finished eating and drinking. This is all happening in church, by the way. I mean, you think that everything's supposed to, I've been in church for a long time. All this happened with people that were worshiping. God, so don't be surprised. If even though you worship every now and then, you face some problems. So Hannah arose after she had finished eating and drinking. And what I find in life is until the, the pain of staying the same surpasses the pain or the risk of change, nothing happens. But when you finally realize, if I stay this way, it's going to be worth You're hungry, but there's a lion outside your tent, and you got to get some food. If you get hungry enough, you will face that lion. Sometimes the reason we don't change is because we're not hungry enough yet. We're not sick and tired enough yet and you keep putting up with it, that's why you stuck with it. Pay attention to what I'm trying to say to you this morning. 
So she rises up. But like I said earlier, until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, nothing's going to change. Rosa Parks just was going home a little bit tired one day, too tired to stand, and it spawned the civil rights movement. Mike Tyson got tired of being bullied in Brooklyn, and it caused him to become the heavyweight champion of the world. George Washington got tired of the king, so he became the first president of the United States. What's it going to take for you to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of situations that go on year after year after year after year, though you go to church, though you have prayed, though you have, when are you going to get sick and tired? of being sick and tired. Now Eli, he's the good priest, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. So he's doing his job, watching the people kind of like a lifeguard at a pool, you know, paying attention, making sure everyone's doing right. Then he spots this lady. The Bible says, and she, or Hannah, was in bitterness of soul. See, we medicate our pain. So we never get to this place. Or we go on a shopping spree to, to try to cover the pain. Or we call up a girlfriend just as busted and broke up as we are so, so we could you know, feel a little bit of sympathy and, and feel like we're not the only ones and, and, and all the rest. So, so often we don't get to the place that Hannah got. But she refused to medicate it. She, she, she refused to, to watch, you know, 17 hours on Netflix. She, 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 she refused to do what everybody else or most others would do in her situation. She was brave enough to feel her pain. Jesus on the cross, they offered him some myrrh to deaden and dull what he was going through. He said, no, I'm going to feel what I need to feel so I can get through this thing on the other side. And he didn't need a crutch. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Nothing wrong with a little bit of television, not, nothing wrong with, with, with some friends, but there are moments, there are miles in this life you got to walk it alone, and there's pain you got to feel. Pay attention to what I'm saying. I wish I could say this differently. I wish I could tell you, give your life to Jesus, you'll never, ever have a problem again. But that's just not in the Bible. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead, betrayed, hated, talked about, rejected. But at midnight, Paul and Silas worshiped. There is pain in this life. And Hannah was in bitterness of soul. But like I said, instead of putting on the Vaseline, 
instead of cornrowing her hair, she prayed to the Lord. It's okay to get upset at times. The Bible says, in your anger, sin not. It doesn't say anger is necessarily sin. My Bible said Jesus flipped over some tables. My Bible says that Jesus at times, uh, uh, the Bible said he groaned in the, in the spirit, but that's polite. He actually got angry. The problem's not getting angry. In fact, if you don't get angry, you're probably out of touch. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.